Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Eric Kolbinski tells us about a rather unique graduation ceremony he had at the DEA Academy. Well, when I was there, they were, and I don't think they do it anymore, but they had this anatomically correct sh- blow up sheep, okay? Wait a minute. How do you know it was anatomically correct there, Eric? <laughs> He's a farm I boy. S- <laughs> <laughs> I saw the darn thing. <laughs> um, it was. Uh, <sighs> It was on public display. <laughs> um, Did you lift the tail? <laughs> I think the tail was sticking up, so you didn't have to lift it. Um, the uh, But Phoebe, you know, Federal Bureau of Investigation, they called this thing Phoebe. And so this is kind of a way of oh, here we, sticking, this is a- sticking it to the Bureau, right? Welcome to Game of Crimes. everybody. Welcome back once again to the original, unadulterated, and meth-free Game of Crimes. I am your host. (laughs) And you'll understand, too. Don't do meth, kids. We keep saying that. I am your ultimate host, Morgan Wright, here literally with my partner in crime. And this is Steve Murphy. You can call me Murph. And if you can see me on camera, you'd see Danielle here with me, one of my granddaughters. Hey, Danielle. Hi. (laughs) She's my buddy. She's my buddy this weekend. You don't deserve such cuteness, Murph. Send her this way. I know. She has the best hugs in the world. Yes, she does. Well, Danielle, she <laughs> just keep the earphones on you. We don't want Danielle to hear some of the stuff we're talking about. True. Absolutely true. <laughs> That's the best part, too. So, hey, guys, let's uh, let's kick this off here real quick. So, hey, uh, we'll just get some of our quick housekeeping out of the way. So, first of all, again, as we say, thank you for joining us. Uh, head on over to that Apple and Spotify. Just give us the five stars. It really helps out a lot. Um, elevates us, gets us into more people. We're seeing our numbers go up. We just hit a huge milestone for us, which we really appreciate your guys' help on. So um, it is it is big time, baby. And also head on over to our website, gameofcrimespodcast.com. Uh, as you'll find out with our previous episode, episode 44, Bob Mazur, Robert Mazur is the infiltrator. We've got his book up there, his two books that he's got out, uh, The Infiltrator and The Betrayal. So that's on over there, our mailing list, merch. Follow us on the social media at Game of Crimes on Twitter, at Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook and the Instagram. But where you have to be, where you have to be, where you have to be, where do you have to be, Steve? Got to be on Patreon because we have, like, man, I'm, we've got so much content out here. It's unbelievable. And I think we've got twice as much content on Patreon now. Oh, I'm telling you. It, it, we, well, we're catching up with the number of episodes we have on our podcast and Patreon. In fact, we just got through, as we're recording this intro outro for our episode coming out Monday, uh, talking about Eric Kolbinski, um, we just got through doing our Patreon episode of You Can't Make This Shit Up. And let me tell you, you can't make this shit up. 
<laughs> and we're going to use and we're going to use one of those stories today in our small town police blotter. So oh you're going to have to stay tuned from that. But yes, head on over to patreon.com slash game of crimes. It's where all the action is happening. Also, if you just want to do a quick pause for the cause, paypal.com, use our email game of crimes podcast at gmail.com or paypal.me slash game of crimes, whatever it makes it easier for you to support the show and bring you even more exciting content. But Steve, you know, one thing we should talk about before we uh, talk about our show about crime, we got to let people know about our show about crime, which is we talk about bad people doing bad things and bad people doing bad things to good people. We do take the stories seriously, but... We never, and you know us, we never take ourselves serious. There's no thin skin here. Nope. So, guess what time it is? I bet it's time for... Small, Small Town, town Police, police Blotter! Yes, and we've got some good ones today, too, I'm telling you. I've got, there's one I have never heard of before. I have never heard of before, but let's get started, Steve. Okay. Have you ever taken a shower in a place that really wasn't a shower? Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever <laughs> taken a shower in an elevator? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, this one guy, and they, it's funny the way they, the, the, the title and the subtitle are informative. Title, police. Nude man thought elevator was shower. Subtitle. Drugs not believed to be a factor. So we always got us, you know. So police arrested a man Thursday evening who they say was found naked in an elevator uh, that he uh, was thought was a shower. And oh. the employees there reported him as an unwanted guest on the premises. When the police arrived, they began searching the hotel for the man who they located inside the elevator. When they found the guy in the elevator, he was naked. Did he ask pass the soap? No, he said he was confused, but he was not threatening. He even smiled at officers when they arrived. That's the scary part. When you're naked in an elevator and you smile as officers arrive, <laughs> I'm going, whoa, Nelly, hang Send me on. Back. Send me back up. <laughs> well, apparently he was he was clothed when he came into the facility, when he came into the hospital, but decided to undress inside the elevator. Uh, they don't believe drugs uh, was that. He was charged, you know, with public nudity and criminal trespass, but... He is going to be, uh, he is going to get uh, a mental evaluation. Yeah, he might go to the lockdown section of that hospital after that little stunt. You know, and how was he getting the water to run out? And was there alcohol involved? It didn't say. that. It said he was just, uh, no, he was just fine and dandy and just thought the elevator was a shower. He's just a wackadoo. Yep. Welcome to the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Hospital. Hey, Steve, let me ask you before we start this next question. Uh, Have you ever had anything happen to you where it takes you just a little while to get over it? Oh, yeah. I mean, like, you're related to the Hatfields and McCoys. How long did that go on? <laughs> yeah, that was more than just a little spat. <laughs> well, this one lady might have something on you. Strongville police uh, report that a blue spruce drive caller reported that a female was dressed in Civil War clothing and sitting in the grass. The, off, the, the caller said she appeared out of it. An officer spoke with the female who said she was out for a walk, dressed um, uh, in Civil War clothing, and she was still depressed about the Confederate Army losing the war 155 years ago. Oh, my gosh. Now, she needs to go to the hospital where the guy on the elevator was naked and going into that special section where you get locked down. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. That's, that's, well, she's sitting out there waiting on the Yankees to come back. Maybe, maybe, maybe the outlaw Josie Wells. She just got through watching that and thought, hey, maybe if Josie Wells ride through, we can, you know, Team the up. South shall rise again. But not going to happen. I hate to tell you, we're, we're way past that. So, Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the sad part is there's so many people. I'm from the South. There's so many people still living in the past. Yeah. 
Well, this is this one, I guarantee you, Steve, out of all the people you've charged for crimes, mm-hmm. have you ever charged an animal with a crime? Never. I can honestly say that's a, that's a good solid. The 38 years in law enforcement never charged an animal. And normally that's not going to happen in the United States, so that's your first clue. This has to happen somewhere else. Goat <laughs> accused of robbery. Police in Nigeria are holding a goat on suspicion of attempted armed robbery. Vigilantes seized the black and white goat, saying it was an armed robber who had used black magic to transform himself into an animal after to escape after trying to steal a Mazda 323. And this is the police saying this. The spokesman for police in the eastern state of Quara said the goat is in our custody. Vigilantes saw some hoodlums attempting to rob a car. One escaped while the other turned into a goat. Okay, we need to get an expanded section in that lockdown part of the hospital because there's a lot of customers coming in today. <laughs> and cops, too. I mean, but this, again, it's cultural, too. They, some of those folks believe in black magic. It's like, yes, you can turn into a goat. Out of all the things, why would I turn into a goat? Why would I turn into a ferocious lion and be king of the jungle? There you go. Oh, my gosh. I, I just need to add that place to my list of places I never want to freaking go. All right, so... Final thing here, normally we do like what year was it or I might do something mm-hmm. else, but we said, hey, we were going to do a story from our previous episode. We just got through releasing on Patreon. Uh, it's it's our April edition of You Can't Make This Shit Up. And one of the stories from there I thought was the most uh, – I just can't believe the lady fell for it, Steve. So you've heard this story and hear it once again, right? Okay. A real woman hired a hitman on a fake website. Wendy Lee Ween, 52, found Rent-A-Hitman online, a real website called Rent-A-Hitman, and filled out a form asking for help killing her ex-husband. Unfortunately for her, and fortunately for her ex, the site's owned not by a hitman, by a computer professional, Bob Ennis, who initially launched it in 2005 to promote a hacking prevention business. Mm-hmm. Years later, he started checking the site's inbox and found a lot of disturbing requests. I think he would. <laughs> Since then, he's made the site into an obvious joke, but when he gets requests, he turns them over to the police like he did with Ween, who, guess what? She used a pseudonym, but used her real contact information. Hi, my name's Betty Smith, but this is my real email address, and this is my real phone number. Now, she wanted him to do it because she said her ex stole $20,000, and she didn't want to commit the crime herself because, quote, I prefer not going to jail. That quote is not going to age well, <laughs> listeners. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> you know what? This sounds like something our friends uh, uh, James and Jimmy from Small Town Murders would do just to get a laugh off of people. They're, they're, if you haven't listened to them, go t- go listen to them. They're fantastic. Small Town Murder. Yeah, small Town Murder, man. Uh, anyway, <laughs> it is forward the, uh, that to the Michigan State Police who posed as people affiliated with the site to contact Ween. Now, We've all got, con- hey, look, we could have got Jay Dobbins. We could have got Lou Velozzi. We could have got Dominic Polifron, yep. uh, Chris Bayless. We got plenty of people who do <laughs> undercover work. Next time, come to us. We'll hook you up with some real pros. She gave the detective her ex's address and told them when and where he works and a $200 down payment on the $5,000 tab for murder. They chin charged with her, and she just pleaded guilty and could serve up to nine years in prison. Where she needs to be. Yeah, that's just, just unacceptable. Unacceptable. Well, thus endeth the reading of the stupidity for today. <laughs> that that one did not age well. But and speaking she, of... Well, she gets to go to the hospital with everybody else. That's where she belongs. Yeah, that's right. She, there is a place. So if you guys want to hear more about that, this, this, is, this was one of our stories and you can't make this shit up. And this wasn't even the top of the heap. This was a good one, yeah. but this one didn't take the cake. We have other ones that literally took the cake. You got to go listen. Patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. Absolutely. Uh, just another shameless plug for it. But hey, anyway, before we get into episode 45... Real quick catch up on episode 44, Robert Mazur and the Infiltrator. I mean, you want to talk about a guy 
I mean, you got to have stones, I mean, mm-hmm. of steel to do the stuff he was doing, mm-hmm. operating in the environments he was operating in. And then not only that, like we said, Steve, I mean, we just got a lot of great feedback. I mean, one of the guys too uh, even said, hey man, Brian Cranston even sounds like Robert Mazur, you know, in the movie, The Infiltrator. So. Yeah, it's it's cool. And, and um, you know, now Bob's got a, a second book out, The Betrayal, which I've read and you need to... <laughs> I, you talk about a glut for punishment. I like Bob. He's extremely intelligent. I mean, I, I, he does things that I've tried to figure out and I can't. He's even explained them to him and I still don't understand them. But a glut for punishment, he's at the end of his career. He's just infiltrated the Medellin cartel on the money laundering side. And what's he do next? Uh, I'm going to give it up. Well, okay, I'll infiltrate the Cali cartel. Let's see what happens. <laughs> Bam. You know, like, you know, they say like, uh, Chris, you know, what, what was the one you can't eat just one, you know, Lay's potato chips. You can't infiltrate just one. Hey, let's infiltrate too. So unbelievable. But as, as fun as that story was, this next guy we have coming up, which is a friend of yours, yep, Eric Kolbinski, there's going to be some funny stuff. We weren't, so now he's hooked up with Luis Navia, who we talked about Luis Navia, you know, and it was pure narco, the book, uh, we wrote about him. We talked about him. And uh, Lewis was just, he was a fun guy, you know? And so we did his episode back, uh, episode 23 mm-hmm. was Luis Navia. As I say, Luis Navia, if you want to say it in Espanol. And so Eric was the DEA agent who was down there with him. Well, as we got to talking with Eric, we realized something about him is he has, uh, he will tell you, he's been kicked out of a few countries and a few <laughs> programs. He's been kicked out of more countries than uh, I have. <laughs> Let me just, let's just say that Eric... Um, <laughs> He will, if he doesn't agree with you, he's going to challenge you, which I admire, you know. And in fact, listen to the part where we thought we were going to get him because we always ask a lot of the DEA guys or federal guys, did you have to write a memo? And what Eric was talking about, and you'll hear it when he talks about Phoebe, uh, (laughs) just listen for Phoebe. They told, you know, they wanted him to write a memo. He refused. He says, I didn't do anything wrong. Now, you're you you're just getting ready to graduate from DEA Academy. You're not you're not there yet. You haven't graduated yet, and you're telling one of the class counselors um, you're not going to write a memo. I'm not going to do it. That should give you an indication of how Eric's career is going to go inside DEA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially towards the end of the academy, you're just you're there, and it's like, hey, just another couple of weeks, and we're out of here, you know. And 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 the, the counselors that you could get along with, you know, that didn't have the uh, holier than now attitudes, they'd tell you, look, you're in here for 17 weeks, 13 weeks, whatever it is, just do everything you're told. They tell you go shit in the corner, tell them, you know, ask them how high, you know. And Keep then, your head down, just get the work done, but not Eric. And then when you get your badge and your cred, you tell them, kiss your butt and you're out in the field. But not Eric. <laughs> but not, not Eric. Because he is the Mr. Spock of DEA. If it's not logical, he's going to call you out on it. But Steve, to get to the story and to hear Eric's logic and how he applied it and to figure out which countries and programs he got kicked out of, I got to ask you one question. Are you ready to play the biggest, baddest, most dangerous game of all? And we won't kick you out of this one, too, the game of crimes. Absolutely. So everybody, as we say, get in, sit down, shut up, and hold on. Bring in our friend, Eric Kolbinski. <laughs> You're funny, Murph. Right, right, always before we get started, Murph has to say <laughs> something smart. But bienvenidos, amigos. Bienvenidos. Welcome to the next episode of Narcos Cali. Oh, no, that's the Patreon stuff. And if you're not subscribed <laughs> to Patreon, you need to be. Game of Crimes, patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. But anyway, 
we've got another stud with us today, uh, Murph Excluded. And this guy, we now a while back, we did an episode with Luis Navia. If you guys will remember, it was a book called Pure Narco. And it was episode 23, by the way. And it was, Luis had an interesting history coming from Cuba, knowing Castro. You know, was it too, Steve? Meyer Lansky? They had a connection with Meyer Lansky? Oh, yeah. He was very, he and his family were very wealthy and very well connected. But all good things must come to an end. And as we were discussing for drug traffickers, there's only one of two outcomes. You either die or you go to federal prison. Mm-hmm. And this is the story about how Luis went to federal prison. Yeah. Courtesy of our next guest, welcome to the podcast, Eric Koblinski. Woohoo! Thank you, guys. Glad to be here. And I think it's Kolbinski, right? Kolbinski. Kolbin- what did I say? Kol Kolbinski. Kolbinski. Yeah. That's the correct. There you go. Come on. Well, that's now. the way Get you right. spelled it. That's the way I pronounced it. <laughs> <laughs> Look at Murphy's. He spelled it. The right. writing's too small. You can't even read it. I've heard it pronounced so many different ways. It it doesn't phase me. We're just going to call you Special K, <laughs> Eric Special K. All right. So, hey, but this is going to be fun, too, because we got Luis's view of what happened and his side of growing up and how things came to pass and how he came to meet you in a southern, you know, a country in the southern hemisphere (laughs) after he had been transported, getting, you know, getting ready to ship out 26 tons of cocaine, I believe, to Europe. Yep. And uh, Eric, you've ruined things for Luis. But according to Luis, and seriously, too, uh, he even said it on the podcast, you saved his life. Had mm-hmm. you not done that, he'd be a dead man because he should have been dead a couple other times, right? Who did he get kidnapped by, Steve, that nobody used to survive? Rascuno. Rascuno, yeah. And he survived. I'm still I'm still shocked that he survived <laughs> that encounter. It was a stunt double. His stunt double got kidnapped by Rascuno. Oh, my gosh. But, Unbelievable. So, you know, and, and just to let you know, Eric and I had the pleasure of working in Miami together. That's how we know each other. So how do you know Eric like, had uh, the pleasure? This is like uh <laughs> hey, everybody knows me, it's a pleasure, right? <laughs> Listeners, that shut him down. But uh this this is like old home week bringing a, an old friend on here. So Eric, thank you so much for being here, brother. Uh like I said, glad to be here. This looking forward to it. This should be fun. Right. Well, it should be as long as Murph just doesn't make these corny <laughs> jokes like he's been known to make. So <laughs> that's like the pot calling the kettle black, there, Mister. Hey, 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 hey! It's all about the narrative. So let's let's speaking of narrative, let's talk about you for a minute, Eric. So uh, as we always do, we want to talk about this thing of ours, this thing called law enforcement. So give us give us kind of an idea. How the hell did Eric Kolbinski? See, I said it right, Kolbinski. Special K. How did you get involved in law enforcement? Where did this urge, itch, you know, desire come from? Well. That's an interesting question because I many times have reflected back on my life and asked myself the same thing. What the but, hell was I thinking? Uh, yeah, right? Well, um, I uh, actually, I got a degree in agriculture from NC State University. And at the time I was considering going on to graduate school. Um, and particularly I was interested in working overseas in international agriculture. Um but I had a buddy of mine um, who was on the Durham, North Carolina Police Department, and he kept bugging me. He said, look, they're looking for guys with college educations. You'd make a great cop. And, uh, you know, I grew up with a strong moral background, you know, right and wrong, good and evil type of thing. Well, if you're going to go into farming, you had to be a farm boy, right? Uh, uh, well, you know, we had uh, – my parents had 
purchased about 30 acres and, you know, we've had some cows and chickens and that sort of thing. And really, I got more interested in um, agriculture from the standpoint of uh, uh, subsistence farming, you know, living off the land type of thing. And, I was holding uh, my breath there for a minute. I thought you were going to say cultivating weed. No, 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 no. Some of my NC State classmates, I think, were there for that exact purpose, so trust me. But uh, no, um, so that was more of the whole idea, which now, um, current state of affairs, is probably a pretty good idea. Yeah, the way the prices are going, you might want to grow your own, as they say, but this time it means exactly. food. Yeah. So, you, so I got I just got, I got one quick question for you, Eric. Who are you rooting for in the NCAA basketball tournament? Well, uh, well, Carolina, of course. I mean, oh, okay. Not NC State. Actually, I started my freshman year at, at Carolina. Yeah. I started off at Carolina. So anyway, so he like kept bugging me um, to, uh, you know, put in an application. And I, more or less, it's time I, I took some time off after college. I was down the Outer Banks, North Carolina, building a house for the family. And... Um, so on the way home one day, I stopped in at City Hall to pick up an application, and they said, nah, you can't, uh, you got to fill it out while you're here. So I filled the darn thing out. Next thing you know, I got some background investigators knocking on the door, wanting to interview me and stuff. And uh, another little ironic, strange little thing that happened along the way was I used to go on ride-alongs with my friend, Kenny. And I can remember it was a typical winter's day in North Carolina. Everything was gray. You know, you couldn't tell the ground from the sky. Everything was gray. It was cold. It was miserable. Um, the patrol car that he was in, in those days, there weren't take-home cars. You know, you picked up a car from the previous shift, and he hits the brakes, and Coke cans and, you know, <laughs> McDonald bags come flying out from under the seat. And, and it just in. And then to make matters worse, the driver's door wouldn't open, so he would I can remember him laying down with his head in my lap and kicking the driver's door open to get out to answer a call. Oh, and, uh, so anyway, my thought was, man, I could never do this. This is such a dirty, dirty, ugly job. I just couldn't do it. But uh, anyway, I get hired and some about a year later, I'm in a patrol car and I'm saying, man, I. Did I, you have to kick the door open no, to get no, out? No, I <laughs> they got, got some new cars. <laughs> we then. got some budget problems in Durham. Yeah. You know, you might have to might have to BYOC, bring your own car. But it was like kind of a deja vu moment. All of a sudden I was there and said, oh, my gosh, here I am. You know, what happened? <laughs> hey, but a quick aside for those of us who have worked city police departments, like all three of us have, you know, mm -hmm. as you know, when you didn't have take home cars as a trooper, I had a take home car, which was glorious because you didn't have to share it with anybody. Mm -hmm. But hey, real quick, what was the worst thing you ever found in one of your cars when you took it over from a shift? Oh, gosh. I, I think the worst thing was always the, the bag of greasy chicken bones. Uh. Other than the gun under the back seat, you know, we'd always check the back seat. <laughs> or the dope uh, or the needles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'd always check the back seat, you know, uh, before Holy a shift. But, uh, yeah, but. Uh, how, we how, old, how old were you when you got hired by Durham? Uh, 27. Okay. I, I, I was on an eight-year college plan. I dropped out for four years. <laughs> See, I, that's why we get along. <laughs> I told my daughter, because she was talking about, she wasn't sure if she's going to do four or five years. I say, you may be on the five-year plan, but dad is on the four-year plan. So yeah. Yeah. if you're on yeah. But, you know, that's the other thing, too, is that we used to have guys who would not clean their cars. And so, you know, every now and then you'd find a greasy bag of old, stale food and stick it <laughs> under there, run the heater for a while, and then turn it over to them. And it's like... Anyway, but those were so <laughs> those were some bad battle days. But so, um, 
How long did it take you from uh, application until hiring? Um, with the police department, um, probably about six months or less. And actually, in, the, in those days, we were we were public safety. We did both police and fire. Uh, so I was trained. Oh, just in tell both. me you didn't want to be a fireman, please. Just whatever. No, no, you did. no, 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 no. I, you know, and of course, you know, every so often, and, and they were. I even made driver out of the academy, and uh, you know, on a regular fire department, I make driver. You know, it takes years. <laughs> you know to get that, but uh, that's how shorthanded they were and stuff. So, um, no, and I, I used to hate when I got station duty, I hated it. Oh yeah. So, but the, but when you started working, how big of a town was Durham? How, how big, what was your, cause it's now called Raleigh Durham, right? Or, you know, Mecklenburg or. No, 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 no. It's still, there's still separate, uh, municipalities, but, um, our police department was about 300 officers at the time. So I don't know, we we're several hundred thousand people Durham and Durham, there's, it's a triangle. There's Chapel Hill, Durham, and Raleigh all there together. Yeah, a lot of tech companies are out there. Um, yeah. I've visited that area there. So, how long? How long? Uh, so, what's one of the what's one of the funnest things or funniest things that ever happened to you on the police department? Wow, I can't. I, you know, it's the first time anybody's asked me about a funny thing that happened to you um, that you're willing wow. to talk about on the radio. I mean, I, well, no, no. I, I see you recalling something. You're hiding something no, from us, Eric. No, you know, um, I'm trying to think of. Um, well, funny call, funny uh, thing. I, you know, <laughs> well, you know, we were always playing jokes on each other. Um, and um, we were vice, I was in vice and narcotics there. And uh, so, you know, uh, go and pick up the prostitute at the bus station who happens to be a, a, a guy. And uh, so, you know, you give the bus signal. And of course, they always wait to come in. So, uh, you know, at the time, at the time, it wasn't very funny. But but in hindsight, it, it was funny. It was humorous. I said hindsight. Well, oh, no, 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 no. no, it didn't go that far. <laughs> oh. It didn't get quite that far. We but, have uh, true confessions. Yeah, yeah, Game of Thrones yeah. has become true confessions. Yeah. Now. But on the flip side, what was one of the worst things you had to get involved in or one of the hairiest things you were involved in? Uh, I was involved in a shooting, a uh, drug deal, and um, it was actually the largest. Uh, it was a three-kilo Coke deal. This is, what, 19, I don't know, early 80s, mid-80s, and it was the largest Coke bust we had at the time. And uh, my partner got shot, and we had one of the bad guys was killed as well. Well, my partner wasn't killed, but uh, we got one bad guy was killed. So that was probably the worst, uh, obviously, thing that happened. What was uh, so? Give us just a little detail on it. How was the? What was the? Was it a buy bust? Was it a? Were they trying to do a rip? No, it was a buy bust in a hotel room and uh, you know adjoining rooms, like we've done how many times before? Thousands. And uh, you know, came through the door, and uh, the one guy who was uh, Hell's Angels associate um, decided he was going to pull a gun. And, uh, you know, that's what, you know. Bad decision on his part. Yeah, yeah. So, and and, your, and, how, and, how serious uh, was your partner hurt? Uh, he took a round in the leg. So, you know, he, he was. But uh, I think more psychologically it damaged him because uh, he got out of law enforcement for a number of years um, and then came back and um, is still, uh, he's a lieutenant in uh, another city up in North Carolina right now. So. He's probably the oldest guy on the job <laughs> by now. <laughs> At least he came uh, back. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. You know, it's it's. Uh, I, you, I think you were in Miami when Kevin Stevens got shot in 1989. No, 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 no. no. 
Uh, he uh, and he he recuperated. Took him a year to come back. But the guy that was with us in uh, part of the inside arrest team, I won't say his name. <clears throat> it that was he was a banker before DEA. Big guy. I mean, just massive uh-huh. and, and strong as a horse. But that was all it took for him. He resigned and went back to the banking business. Wow. North Carolina, yeah. as a matter of fact. Well, you know, it's interesting because some people react that way. I know when I was in the academy, the DEA academy, um, within the first day or two were there, they show videos of testimonies of agents who had been involved in shootings and stuff. And this guy was a cop from Detroit or someplace. And he said, ah, this is not what I signed up for. And he quit, you know, like within the first week of the academy. That's strange because Detroit, we had Jeff Moore on here, you know, when he was, uh, uh, you know, working up in Detroit, working dope up there. And uh, it was the uh, case that they made the mule out of, you know, the Clint Eastwood movie, Leo Sharp, uh, the uh-huh. Sinaloa cartel. And Detroit was, I mean, if you've been in Detroit and on the job up there, was and Steve too, Joe Pierasante, he was a Detroit cop, wasn't he? Yeah, that's where he started, yep. Yeah, so anybody in Detroit kind of knows it's a violent thing, so... I'm a little shocked that you come to DEA going, I didn't sign up for this. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he was. Maybe that's why he left the police department thinking he wouldn't be exposed to that sort of violence. Well, he should. <laughs> we just had an interview with uh, Bob Mazur, who started off on the IRS. IRS is a relatively safe uh, um, hide in the office and do books until you get bored doing that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Hey, so. So where did your fascination then, how did you, you know, what was your path then from that to go into DEA? Because it sounds like, uh, you know, you obviously were on patrol at some point, you were in vice and narcotics. Was there anything about the vice and narcotics stuff that stuck for you that you said, yeah, man, this is what I want to do full time? Is that what got you going with DEA? Yeah. And actually, um, it was kind of as a result of that incident, uh, the shootout the days in where um, the district attorney... I had worked the case. I knew where the dope had come out of the Florida Keys. And the district attorney's um, position at that time, when I tried to pursue it, was that's Florida's problem. Um, And so I ended up having, I just turned it completely over to DEA at the time. And uh, just the idea of being able to, you know, follow through with your cases uh, really started me thinking about going federal, where you didn't have the local jurisdictions to worry about. So how long were you on Durham PD? Uh, eight years. I spent about three in patrol and then uh, the remaining five in uh, in dope. And uh, did you go then from Durham to DEA or did you have another job? No, actually, um, Customs was the uh, – I, I applied to several different federal agencies, and um, Customs was the first one to offer me a job. So I spent uh, about a year down on the border in Laredo, Texas, and um, then um, I ended up Getting PCS, but no. Let's let's hang on to Lori. How you're you're coming from North Carolina? I mean, the only border you got is the, you know the Atlantic Ocean. Um, you know, quite frankly, unless you're worried about Virginia or South Carolina. <laughs> Ever been to South Carolina? Yeah, well, yeah, we were worried about South Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I've, if you've seen some of the guys on their state patrol, they take it very seriously. Um, <laughs> But uh, so what was it like going from North Carolina to Laredo? I mean, I'm not just so much about culture shock, but the type of work, the type of things that you were facing down there. And, you know, was it what did you was it as bad as what you thought? Was it worse than what you thought? Or did you just have no idea what it was like down there till you got there? You know, uh, yeah, I really had no I, I had no clue when they offered me a job with customs. Like it was either Reston, Virginia or Laredo, Texas. And um I said, no, I want to go where the action is. Let's go down the border. But I tell you, a lot of what we did was responding just to um, to uh, port of entry calls, you know, 
the a car come in, inspectors find dope in it or whatever. Um, then we go down and, and take the case and for, for prosecution stuff or responding to checkpoints where the border patrol would, uh, well, actually, no, those were, those were DEA cases. Um, uh, but no, mostly port of entry calls. I mean, we did some controlled deliveries. We did some stakeouts. Uh, I had my own horse down there. That was fun. Right. And oh, we whoa, would, whoa, okay, oh. back up now. Let's let's talk about this, Tex. That's a new G ride. <laughs> right. You couldn't afford a car, so you had to get a horse, right? <laughs> Fortunately, with the horse, you can't. You kick the door open on a horse, you're going to be in yeah. trouble. <laughs> no, we had uh, we had what four, five horses that uh, belonged to uh, to. In those days, they called the Office of Enforcement, uh, and so yeah, uh, we would ride the we would ride the river. You know, looking for Did you have a ten-gallon white hat you wore. Nah, nah, just a customs ball cap. <laughs> you know, but uh, yeah, we would we would we would ride the river looking for uh, crossings and stuff, and then we'd come back at night and stuff, set up on them, that sort of thing. Any uh, any wild things that you can tell us about down there? I mean, there had to be stuff when you. I mean, you think about what it is today too, but you've got cartels, you've got dope, you've got you know. Even then, we didn't really know a lot about human trafficking, but there's you know they're moving people and stuff. What what was the you know what was one of the you know hairiest things you got into down on the border? You know, I, I really can't say there are any really what I would consider really hairy things um, down there because yeah. It just seemed like normal, routine, everyday work, you know. Normal routine, drugs coming across the border, yeah, chasing people, just... riding a horse. That's a, that's an everyday thing in Detroit. Uh, you know, there were, <laughs> let's put this there were no shootouts. There, there wasn't a time that I really felt that my life was uh, in grave danger. What's the, uh, what's the largest amount of drugs you saw during that time? You know, hundreds of pounds of weed, um, Maybe 25, 30 keys of Coke because, you know, this, these were hidden in, in vehicles. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it just not that much Coke was coming across at the time. Not not the way it is now in tractor trailers and stuff. How were they finding most of the dope? Because did they really – did they have a lot of dogs back then or was it more just it, uh, the people at the port of entry knowing where to look? Uh, both. Uh, both. Um, and, you know, in, as far as any sort of – well, and then there were always the customs lookouts, so whatever intelligence that, that the inspectors were operating off of type of thing, too, as well. But um, – and then we worked a lot with DEA down there, too, of course. So um, we would uh, – there were always the stash houses that um, we'd pick up somebody. We'd follow them to the stash house, and we'd set up surveillance on the stash house and, you know, knock them off as they were – Come in and pick up the dope out of the stash house. Did try to follow it up the up the chain. Did you ever hit a money stash house? No. Um, you know, back then, really, we weren't emphasizing money. We weren't thinking along those lines. It was more about just putting dope on a table. Wow. So how long how long how long did you do the customs thing? Um, I did that for uh, four years, about four years. Because then I got um, in those days they hired you is a customs investigator because they were doing away with the customs uh, uh, patrol. And those guys were like journeyman 11 or journeyman nine. And so when you got hired as a new special agent, you were really, they called you an investigator. And so to get an 11, a GS 11, that was a promotion. So when I, after a year, I got promoted to a GS 11 and I was, eligible for PCS. So I went back to North Carolina to Wilmington. And a lot of folks, we, we have a rule about acronyms here. So uh, as you're talking about things like that, that's okay. That was your attack dog uh, getting in yeah. position to, yeah. no, my to wife say just came 
Uh, tell everybody what a PCS is. Uh, permanent change of station. PCS, yeah, permanent change of station. That's, you know, when you go from one office to the next where, and the government pays your move in most cases. In most cases, yeah. I've got a friend of mine in the Marine Corps that's moving to North Carolina, and now they've got do-it-yourself PCS. So if you want to save the government money, they'll pay for you to rent rental trucks and or hire your own folks. Uh-huh. So a lot of times it might take twenty-five grand to move somebody. He's doing it for four grand. He is saving the taxpayers $21,000. Good for him. Because yeah. I'm telling you, I think uh, those companies that had those contracts for killing they were, us. They, they, oh, they, oh yeah. boy. My dad was military, and I can tell you, oh, well. I never knew it till later, but just to find out what it took to move us overseas. We lived in Iran for three years and then moved back. Overseas moves, oh, not only are they expensive, they're complicated. I mean, when they would come in and pack you, they they didn't they would pack everything, and then I had friends make fun of me uh, on the other end when half-empty boxes of cereal and old stuff are yeah. getting unpacked. And it's like, I didn't pack it. I didn't pack it. Yeah. If you didn't trash. the trash can, they trash. No, they'd no, that. they will. I've heard stories where the trash can got moved too with the, with these guys because yep. it's all and about if you had volume a neighbor, and weight. No, nosing around, the neighbor might get wrapped up get wrapped in it too. Up, what are you doing exactly. in here? <laughs> exactly. So, uh, so tell us about that. Then you're on four years and you're coming back to North Carolina, right? Uh, went down to Wilmington, uh, Port City. And, um, well, and, and with customs, you know, it's not just dope too. You've got, uh, import export things. And back then we, we had tariffs and so, and I hated it. Somebody would import some screws, call them bolts because they paid less duty on them. And then you'd have to go do a investigation to determine whether or not this was criminal. <laughs> and I just <laughs> hated it. There is a um, joke about being screwed on this, but I'm not sure what it is yet. But yeah. Anyway, but I was, uh, I was, uh, in those days, if you were with customs to work dope, you had to be cross-designated as a Title 21 agent. Uh, so I don't know, Steve, you remember that probably. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that so, was a big pissing match between agencies uh, back then. So, yeah, yeah. So, Tell us about uh, cross, you know, uh, cross training, being cross trained as a Title Twenty One. What does that mean? Uh, there's no training involved. It's just they wave know, the magic wand and yeah, they create yeah, dominate. Well, okay, you can work dope now. I mean, that was that's basically it. So, yeah. um, and then Wilmington's not that big a town, so um, just about every dope case you had the locals um, as well as uh, DEA, Customs, FBI. We all, we all worked everything together because uh, it wasn't that large of a place. And was Mike Grimes so, around back then? Mike Grimes was definitely the man. Actually, I knew Mike from, <laughs> from uh, PD days. Is that the case I mentioned before uh, down in Marathon? I turned that whole thing over to Mike, and Mike ended up getting these. There was Coast Guard guys who were stealing dope off of seizures. Oh. Oh, and so Mike, yeah, Mike made a great case out of that. Did uh, was, uh, It was probably before Hal Jordan got down there, right? Um, yes. Matter of fact, um for listeners, I guess Hal Jordan was uh, a uh, he was in the academy one one academy at class behind me at Durham, and I actually then introduced uh, Hal and Mike, um, and Mike was very instrumental in getting Hal on with DEA. Good man, I, yeah. all those guys. Are, yeah. You know, yeah. Mike's he's a freaking legend in DEA. He's <laughs> yeah, the guy he where we were talking to somebody, and they were talking about an agent lived on a houseboat down in Wilmington. That was Mike. Dang, pretty sweet. Just to clarify a little bit what you were talking about, Title 21 there, Eric. So, and for Morgan, and you may already know this, but I'll doubt our listeners do, Title 21 is the the title in the United States Code that all the drug offenses are under. And that's what DEA operates under, whereas Customs, you know, they were checking people coming into the country. 
So to cross-designate customs with Title 21 authority, DEA viewed that as, oh, well, now they're stepping over in our area. So DEA would go back and say, okay, customs, you're going to do that. Customs had this thing called border search authority, which they could search you just simply because you're coming into the United States. And DEA always wanted that. But I, I don't think to this day they've ever gotten it. That That is a lot. of That's the old Spider-Man with great power comes great responsibility. You're telling me I could search people without a warrant at the border? Sign me yeah, up. Yeah, if you and then even if, um, you know, if you follow them from the border to Chicago, you've, as long as you maintain that nexus with the border you can you know you don't need a warrant you don't need anything you, you well, see and that's so a couple things let's let's explain a couple of things to our players out there but no, n- number one is a lot of people may have this misconception is that if they think if you're a federal agent you can enforce every federal law and i'll give you the corollary as a state trooper we were the only agency but we could enforce every state law but then fish and game could only, they couldn't enforce traffic. You know, you had your differentiations. And then the other thing too is, so I want you to talk about that. But the other thing too, is a lot of people think they realize until you clear customs until you clear immigration, you are not in the United States. So to be to, they can search you without warrants. They can do basically whatever they want. Mm-hmm. Having been detained by Canadian authorities one time. <laughs> <laughs> Did they search you? No, it was just, it was more of a thing. I'm doing some consulting with the company and they, you know, but they, well, they could have hired somebody in Canada. No, they couldn't. So $500 later and, you know, two hours, they get the tax out of you. So it's, it's, it's all about jobs and stuff. So, you know what you say now when you go to Canada? You're a tourist. I'm up here for a meeting. I'm up here for a conference, not doing anything. That's it. Just a meeting. Yeah. Yeah, But anyway. And then they apologize to you because they're so freaking nice up there. They are. By the way, I will tell you one thing. Hey. We did, we did, we did get a message on uh, Instagram. Murph, uh, uh, an Australian, and Aussie is a little ticked that the Canadians passed him. He says he's doing his part to listen to that, but he gave us a couple names. I told him, we said we are working on a podcast, uh, trying to find some folks in Australia. But anyway, okay. go back to yep. the other thing, though, Eric. Uh, I mean, a lot of people think, well, if you're a Fed, can't you just enforce everything that's on the federal books? No, no. You uh, each agency um, has their. Um you know, when you're gone a while, you start forgetting some of the terminology, but you're, you're <laughs> statutory, statutory jurisdiction. Um, and it's, and it's spelled out in the laws is, is what statutes you can enforce. Um, now there is some lap over between agencies. I, I, from a federal agency standpoint, the FBI has the greatest jurisdiction. Um, but all and the they other, let you know it too, don't they? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny because the, DEA is, I guess maybe other than the IRS, is the only single mission law, federal law enforcement agency that there is. And that's to Correct. enforce Title 21, which are the narcotic statutes. But the Bureau, they have over 400 different crime categories they're responsible for. They've even got one category that says if it doesn't fall under a category we have, it's still ours. <laughs> yeah, <I> mean, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> And it's like it's like the early conquerors. They lay claim to everything they can see. This is all mine. Hey, you know what? Nobody ever takes them on. Nobody ever takes them on. They got it. So, but so Eric, so how long were you on customs then? You said four uh, years? It was about, yeah, approximately four years. And how long was it, were you down in Laredo before you moved to Wilmington? It, I was only there about a year. Was that all you could take or did you just want no, to get back no, to North just, Carolina? No, it's just, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I don't think there was a position there for me. Uh, to get promoted in place there. Um, but I, I, I think I really want to just get back to North Carolina and get out of there. I mean, listen, when I got down there, except for what I think it's I-5 is runs from San Antonio down on Laredo. If you get a block or two off of the interstate at the time, the streets were still dirt. 
Um, and I come to, came to find out that right before I got there, the mayor had been indicted um, because all of his uh, roads on his ranch, multi-thousand acre ranch, were paved. But none of the streets in, uh, in Laredo were paved. So, <laughs> yeah, it's just, it, you know, it just... Um, I've heard it's changed tremendously, but it's just not a, it wasn't a, you know, nah, wasn't a fun place to live. In, in Chicago, the mayor, you know, they, they take bribes and payoffs in Texas. They take paved roads. <laughs> paved roads. Yeah. Either that or the, the city employees didn't know the city limits when they were out there working. I don't know. It's new meeting to the streets of Laredo. Sucks to be you. So, so what, what, what events or what things started happening to precipitate? Because I would assume then I'm I'm just going to make a leap of uh, logic here that you went from customs to DEA. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. And um, what what brought that about? What when did you finally see the light and go, Hallelujah, brother! I want to be uh, uh I want to be on DEA. Uh, you know, I I when I was with customs, I wanted to work dope, and you know, they still wanted you to work some of these other cases. And uh, really, it was Mike Grimes, Steve. Um, you know, like, like I told you, I knew Mike from my PD days and he says, Hey man, you know, put your application and put your application in. What was it about dope that made you, like you say, made you, you just wanted to work dope. Why? I, I don't know. Is it, uh, is it sexy? I, you know, in hindsight, you know, good question, but, um, you know, I just, I, it just, uh, it was, you know, the whole undercover stuff and, um, you know, you got to go after some real bad guys. Well, were you watching Miami Vice? Of course we were. Damn right. See, there we go again. Uh, Everybody, there we go. every damn fed listen, on here that listen, went to DEA listen, watched Miami Vice. Listen, here's what happened. I was when it was when it was in its heyday there. I was still in uniform, and so. Uh, Everybody would call out back the station having their meal break when yeah. Miami Vice came on. <laughs> there was no cops patrol in that hour. <laughs> uh, that's good. Hey, look, the, I'm about to tell you the other funny thing, too, is I don't know if you remember when cops came out on Fox. You know, uh-huh. it was the first we had one guy working with us, line of PD, but uh we didn't, I didn't have, you know, they were just rolling out cable too. This is the very early eighties. So not everybody had cable and Fox wasn't available over the air, like NBC, ABC, CBS. So you had to have cable. And this guy came in and was telling these fantastic stories about what he used to do at his prior department until we started getting cable and started getting Fox. And then one day, one of the guys sent him up, Hey, you know, did you ever work one of these cases? He goes, yeah. And he says, I bet it was this, this, and this. And he just described the last episode of cops to him. And it's like, yeah, there we go. That was his stories. <laughs> Uh, everybody's yeah. a hero, and that Poser. what Dave Mitchell said. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. but it, it was so funny because once you started getting cops, you went uh, back, and then you you started looking at some of the prior episodes. You go, oh, that was that case. That was uh, that case. Yeah. But hey, if Miami Vice was sexier. So um, you're not sure why you wanted to work dope, but you did. So uh, how long did it take you to get on DEA? Oh wow. Well, that's there's another interesting little story there. Um, it took a while. And I kept being told, oh, you're in the next academy, you're in the next academy. This goes on for three or four times. And so I say, Mike, you know, I don't understand what's happening here. Well, then he called, um, ah, Steve, who, who, who are, what's a section up in DEA that uh, uh, hired? It's, it's in recruiting. Um, yeah. Inspections? Uh, no, no, no. Agent assignment. He calls agent assignment. And it turns out that 
when they when they did my background at the PD, some people up there badmouthed me. And um, what did they badmouth you about? Well, actually, I got caught up in some politics there. There was a captain that that they were going after, and he had been my captain when I was in narcotics. And we had we had one deal where we had a cooperating defendant was going to make a buy for us. And so, you know, typically we meet, you know, we search him, we, you know, put him in his car, we give him the money, everybody's following him to the, to the buy location. And halfway there, he pulls over and he says, I can't find the money. And, you know, we can't, we, you know, we can't find the money. The money's nowhere. So um, the accusation was made that the captain and I, or the captain and I conspired to steal the money, or I stole the money and he covered it up. Um, so, as a matter of fact, it was interesting because I was with Customs at the time. They called me up to the police department, and um, and there was another incident too, where it was the end of the fiscal year, and the SBI had the State Bureau of Investigation, North Carolina State Bureau of Investigation, had some monies to burn, and they said, "Hey, can?" And, and one of the state agents came, "Hey, can can you, you know, can you set up a buy?" And uh, I said, "Yeah." Uh, I've been buying like quarters, quarter ounces off this, this guy. Um, but, um, you know, if, if we're going to go any higher, we're going to have to front the money. He's, we've had this discussion before. And, and uh, if I want an ounce, I'm going to have to front him the money to go pick it up. Uh, because his guy won't, you know, won't just hand him an ounce without the money. So, I mean, we got state agents, we got county, we got half of our, we got our narcotics unit is out there. Um, and so I meet the guy, I give him, I don't know, was it 2000 for an ounce in those days, maybe. Um, and so this guy's on a motorcycle and we have surveillance and we knew who, we knew his source, this guy, another Durham had a chapter of the Hells Angels. So this guy was affiliated with the Hells Angels. He, he wasn't a patch member, but he was affiliated with him. So, um, we had everything set up. Well, this guy takes off through the woods on his motorcycle and it was a rip you know, set up for a rip. Well, that, and then this other incident with the kid, um, losing the money, they then bring me in, uh, to an interrogation room when I'm with customs. And I thought, well, kid, they, yeah, they, they, um, they, oh, the guy who ripped me off, I don't remember his real name, his, his Nick street name was Cowboy. And, uh, uh, so they said, Hey, we want to talk to you about that incident. And I thought, Oh, they've identified this guy. Cause this wasn't that many years after it happened. I thought, Oh, they bring me in there and talk about this. Well, it was real obvious to me. Well, as soon as this thing got going, I, I'm the subject of the investigation now. So I said, yeah, okay, well, we'll talk to you guys later. Um, but so anyway, so Grimes checks what's going on with agent assignment and finds out all this stuff. And I said, Mike, and I explained the situation, Mike, and, um, and Mike knows the state agents and all. And Mike knows all these law enforcement people that are involved in this. So I happened, fortunately, I kept a copy of all of my uh, investigative reports with the police department. And um, so I provided Mike with all these reports, how this whole thing was documented and everything. And um, so he put together a letter, sent it up to Agent Simon. And, uh, 
boom, you know, the, like within a day or two of them getting a letter, they're calling me, hey, can you be here next week for the academy type of thing? Um, but so that was, that's how I got into DEA. It took a little longer than it would have, but let me back up a second. And that the guy with the, uh, the money that disappeared, turns out um, he had taken the money and stuffed it down the um, the, the the vents, the heat heater vents in the in the dashboard. Okay, and uh, so of course you know this is the internal investigation, and so you know all right, you want me to take a polygraph? I'll take a polygraph, and then you know he says he'll take a polygraph. So comes time for him to take a polygraph. I mean, two or three times he got an excuse, had to work, his baby was sick, something he kept you know, Bogarting on the... Uh, That's what we call in law enforcement a clue. A clue, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, finally, so finally I told him, I said, look, I said, because he was he was work, working off charge. I said, look, you know, either you take the polygraph or we're just going to, you know, you're going to jail. Um, and so he said, okay. So we go there and, uh, and it was interesting because I went in first. And um, so then he he's still in the, he's in there being polygraphed. An examiner comes out to me and he says, well, he says, uh, I got good news and bad news. He says, uh, or bad, good news, bad news. He says, well, he passed the polygraph. And I kind of like, huh? And he says, yeah, he admitted he stole the money. <laughs> <laughs> he set you up. Uh, yeah. But you had uh, to slap yeah. him. Yeah. I was like, what? And, uh, yeah, he, he passed the polygraph. He, he, that's when we found out that he had stuffed the money down the vents, and it took him a week with a coat hanger and, and the, and the <laughs> fan on high trying to pull the money out of the vents. And uh, so, well, yeah. When they, brought, when they brought you into Durham PD as a customs agent to talk to you about Cowboy, did they read you your rights? No, 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 no. That's what I'm saying. It was all very deceptive. Wow. And the whole thing was they were trying to go after my captain. I think they wanted to jam me up so they could go after him. Uh, and, and from what I understand, I mean, I was far enough removed in here enough, but it was just, it was, a, he, you know, was old school. They brought in some new chief and I guess he wanted to bring in more of his own people up. And uh, so they started going after after my old cap. And that is most chicken shit way to do stuff. Oh, We've yeah. all worked oh, yeah. with people that they don't they don't like rather than figuring out how to work with you or how to give you new skills and stuff, they just want to screw you over and make yeah. you retire. Yeah, yeah. Matter of fact, old cap is kinda he uh, he uh, Perry Mason, what was his detective's name? Uh uh Paul Drake. Paul Drake. Captain Holy Clayton. cow, how do y'all remember that crap? Captain Clayton looked just like Paul Drake with that that hair and gray that silver hair. silver hair combed yeah, over combed, he had combed the back. suit, yeah. <laughs> looked just like Paul Drake. <laughs> yeah. Holy cow. Steve, because I'm a trained investigator, I'm trained to remember <laughs> important details. Yeah, well, you, I am the you, Cliff Clavin of useless trivia, dude. You should know that by now. Well, both of you just dated yourselves. Holy cow, Perry Mason. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was the one I was a oh. little kid. No, no, well, I was watching the rerun, Steve. Sure you do. <laughs> nice try. Steve, Steve's the only guy on this podcast that was there when Jurassic Park was actually made. <laughs> anyway, back back to our regularly scheduled podcast. So, hey, so what was the, what was the outcome of that? Did the was the captain able to jam it back up their ass, or what was the deal? No, no, I, you know, I don't think they never did get rid of him. He he retired. You know, um, they were trying to get rid of him. I guess take his pension or whatever, but. Um, yeah, no, no, no. How, how chick? I'm sorry. That's just if, you, if whoever was responsible for doing that, that's chicken shit. Somebody who served the city and done what they did, and you just—I thought by the time, but 
now what did you do though with your with your dude who uh stuffed the money down the vents? Did they end up charging him? You know, I honestly I don't remember. Um I don't remember. But I he did do some jail time. I know he did some jail time. Because I had bought dope off of him. I, I bought a couple ounces off of him, I think. Hmm. So so, so he stuffed yeah. the money in the vents of his own car, right? His, his own car, po- yeah. His POV, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Then yeah. Retrieved it later, yeah, yeah. And actually, he was, yeah, he was tied. I've got to tell how, you, I'd never heard of that before. Sorry, that's yeah. a new one. No, and that's how, you know, I got the cowboy because obviously we weren't going to be using him anymore. And I said, okay, you, you got to set me up directly with cowboy because he was getting it from cowboy. So that was all part of the same thing. So. Now, how hard, how tough was it? Did you have to go through the regular application process, like coming in from the outsider, because you were already on customs? Did having that federal service, that GS, you know, that government uh, service uh, designation, give you any breaks, make it faster? No, I had to go through that painful experience of filling out the uh, the SF eighty six. It's a form. It's an application. Standard form eighty six for yeah. getting cl- access to classified information. Yeah, yeah. And they want to know where you've lived and all your relatives. And, uh, it's like yeah. an encyclopedia. <laughs> well, we were yeah. we were talking about this one time. How many pages? Do you, I can tell you my my SF eighty six because I lived overseas too is thirty six pages long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, if you've been overseas, that complicates it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I was young. I said, look, I was in, I was in first grade. It doesn't matter. We got it. Yeah. You may have been recruited by you know the Iranian intelligence back in the day. Yeah. No, no, no. Iran. (laughs) It was like you were in London. No, no, no. It's well, that the days of the Shah. Remember, that's what Pat said about Stalin. He's a son of a bitch, but he's our son of a bitch. So he was, (laughs) you know, the Savat, the secret police. Hey, actually, one of the people. My dad was uh, military, but. The, the the oil wasn't a big thing back then, and so the standard of living for just even enlisted pay, he was an E8. We lived in a two-story house, stone uh, fence, pool out front. We had a maid, a gardener, a driver, and one of them disappeared one day with the secret police of the the Shah called the Savat. And so, again, they're son of a bitches, but he was our son of a bitch, you know, back in the 60s. <laughs> But anyway, but you had to fill out, yes, that painful thing and go back. Everybody you knew, you know, your, for, who was your third grade teacher? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you, you had to do all of that stuff. So uh, by the time you got done with that, when did you start with – so by the time you start DEA, you've got, what, 12 years of law enforcement, right? Correct, yeah. I uh, I started with DEA in, what, February of – actually, 91. So you, wow. went, you went through the FBI Academy? Yes, I went, was up there in Quantico, yeah. How many classes did you guys have going through at the same time? I think we had, when I got there, there was one ahead of me and then one came in after me. So I think we had three classes at the time. Because yeah, there had been after, a freeze, there had been a yeah. freeze for a while and then uh, that's, they started hiring a bunch of people. Yeah. And when did you come on, Murph? 87. And we had five classes in there at the same time. But it was the same reason that uh, Eric had. They had this long hiring freeze, and now everybody's trying to catch up. Yeah, because that's 87s when I went with customs. You know, Murph didn't have that problem. He just, they didn't like him. They tried to get him to just not to <laughs> hire him by ignoring him for two years. Wow. Little did they know. <laughs> they should have done They were training you, first. persistence. I'm persistent. If he's, well, can you imagine the guys on the, you know, the uh, panel who hires you, you know, the new agent, you know, hiring? Ah, buddy, hey, give him credit. He's persistent. You know, that's what I mean. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And there's going to uh, be this guy called Pablo. We're going to need to have him and JP go after. So we want somebody who's going to hang in there. Well, I got hired because I was a token hillbilly. 
And I'm fine with that. Nah. You know? There's not a lot of us West Virginians <laughs> on DEA. Yeah. I, I, there were two, just we'll bypass all of those jokes and get back to <laughs> get back to Eric here. So uh, you you finally get on DEA. So what's your what do you choose? What are your choices for what your first post is going to be, and what do you actually end up getting? Um, I picked again wanting to go where the action is. I put Miami, uh, Atlanta. Let me ask. Let me guess. Anything have to do with Miami Vice? Did you think you're going to be wearing a white <laughs> Armani suit? You know, and driving a nah. It really wasn't my Maserati. style. But um, but l- listen, that's uh, that's where the action is. There was. You thought you were going to have Chris Feistel hair? Yeah. Chris? <laughs> no. Oh yeah, yeah. No, Chris was in uh, Chris was in Bogota when I was in Barranquilla with with DEA. So I knew, I knew Chris from down in Columbia. Yeah. But um, and then uh, what? Third one was New Orleans. I wanted to go to a big city, you know, because that's again so the action. busy places. Where'd you get Atlanta? <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't know. Anybody got their first pick. Yeah. yeah. But was Atlanta one of your choices, or was yeah, it out of the yeah, blue? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was number two. Oh, yeah, okay. I, yeah, yeah. I had I, I had family down there, two brothers down there. So, so which peach tree did you live off of? It's uh, <laughs> only um, like thirty four to choose no, from. I, actually, I lived off a of peach tree, peach tree Boulevard. Yeah, yeah. If you ever want to confuse GPS, just type in like three thousand forty two peach tree, and it'll yeah, come up with ninety seven choices. Peach yeah, tree. yes, that's crazy. Everything's peach tree. Yeah. Well, whose group were you in down there? Um, when I first got there, I was in, it was group two, but, um, I can't remember his name. Paul Marconi took the group over, uh, when this guy left to become a polygraph examiner, but uh, he was, I, you know, I wasn't crazy about him as a GS. I can't yeah. remember his name. Oh, you, well, you know what, Norton Morgan, we forgot to ask him, did you have to write any memos in the academy? Oh, yeah. Forgot. Yeah. How many memos? I already got the nod of, you know, yes. Okay. Now the question is not if you did, it's how many. No, I no. Um, uh, Unlike some other folks on this podcast, uh, I don't think I wrote any. And that's because I refused to. (laughs) Well, what does they want you to write memos about? Well, um, remember, you know, during the last week there, the tradition of the inflatable sheep, Phoebe. Did they have that no. when you went through? No. Did you go? Did you go through Glencoe? No, I went through the FBI academy. Well, when I was there, they were. And I don't think they do it anymore. But they had this an anatomically correct sh- blow up sheep. Okay. Wait a minute. How do you know it was anatomically correct, there, Eric? <laughs> He's a farm boy. I, sh- <laughs> I saw the darn thing. <laughs> um, it was. Uh, it was on public display. <laughs> Um, Did you lift the tail? No, I think the tail was sticking up, so you didn't have to lift it. Um, the uh, But Phoebe, you know, Federal Bureau of Investigation, they called this thing Phoebe. And so this is kind of a way of oh, here we sticking, sticking it to the Bureau, right? Yeah. Well, what they would do is like the night or two before graduation, it was that last week you're in the academy. After everything's done and over, and I think we did the... After we, I think it was the day after we ran, or the night after we ran the uh, what's the obstacle course? The Yellow Brick Road. Road. After we did the Yellow Brick Road, so everybody's in high spirits, and so the you you conducted a raid on the class that was following you, and um, and gave them Phoebe, 
because I guess we had a raid conducted on us. And they come in, I don't know, they're throwing water balloons and shooting fire extinguishers and just a bunch of ju- juvenile stuff. Now, you know, so I'm, I'm a little older than most of these guys in there. So, you know, I go down to the floor below us where the other class is. And so I'm just kind of standing there, my arms crossed up against the wall, talking to a, a, another, uh, a, another guy who's not going crazy and just watching the silliness. And uh, one of the class counselors from that class comes up and uh, he starts telling me I got to leave and this and that. And um, I, 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 you know, I can't remember. And, and I said, why? I said, I'm not going to. There's nothing. Nobody's getting hurt here. You know, I said, I think I even said, why are you being such a dick? Because uh, he was running around trying to push everybody in their rooms and, you know, just going. He was he was he was going crazy out of control. And um, so. Um, so it's all over and said and done. I go back to my room. I'm in bed. And there's a knock on the door and he's up there and once takes me down to my class counselor and all this stuff. And, you know, so he then goes to uh, the. uh no, those are the student. Adv- who, who's the? You had the the agents who were. What are they? Guys? Damn, Steve, yeah, the, I forget. Uh, class counselors, and then they answered to the coordinator. Class coordinator. And my class coordinator was uh, a female. Her husband was down in Miami. Starts with a T. Uh, Sounds like rhymes with. Trish was it? Trish. Uh, uh, can't remember now. Yeah. Anyway, she was my class coordinator. She, she she comes up. She says, "I want you to apologize. I want you to do this and threatening to have you kicked out, and on and on." And I said, "Look, I'm not apologizing. You know, I didn't do anything wrong." And oh, they're you know threatening to have you kicked out. I said, "You know, come on. You know, we've gone through all this training, all the ways we're through, and this is a bullshit incident. You're going to kick me out." And so that was that was the end of that. Until I find out, I get to Atlanta, and this class, this class counselor, he had a, a, a friend in Atlanta, so he puts the bad mouth on me before I get down there. And uh, Andy Diamond was the guy's name. And, and a couple years later, he comes to me and says, hey, I just want you to know you're okay. I said, uh, so-and-so, and I can't remember this guy. He was out of Vegas, an agent out of Vegas. Uh, yeah, he called me right at the end at the academy and saying, well, what a horrible person you were. And, uh, don't trust <laughs> Andy him. Diamond. And, Andy yeah. Diamond was good people. Yeah. 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 So anyway, so that was, yeah, that was, that was my refusal to write a memo thing. And, <laughs> so, and, and then Tom Petty song, you know, what is it? Won't, won't back down. That became my theme song there for, there you go. There you go. <laughs> well, yeah. you know, I, I mean, that's the thing about DEA. They, they pick guys that this, I mean, not to, to create a pun here off of what you just said, but you picking guys that won't back down, you know, yeah, you don't give no, up. I mean, no, Stand no, and it, yeah, it's just so I and it, it you know it, it was all clean, good, clean fun. You know, nobody got hurt, nothing got damaged, and you know he just wanted to exercise his authority there. Um, that was his. Just, that was his which, five seconds of that, uh, being that was in charge. That, those are that's the Napoleon syndrome in effect. It's like people who have no other authority than that limited stuff, and they want to use it and abuse it. Um, a lesson in leadership. That's, you know, you always tell people you learn, sometimes you learn more from bad management than good management because you learn the things you would never do right. if you got to be a leader. So, um, well, so you, you had trouble with Wilmington. <laughs> Somebody was talking bad about you there. I'm detecting a pattern here, Eric. <laughs> 
Because Murph was just telling me before we came on air, you know, about you. you know. um, so what kind of, what kind of stuff did you start working when you were in Atlanta? Um, I was assigned to a general enforcement group. Um, Atlanta had a bad heroin problem. Um, and I, I did a lot of undercover buying heroin. Um, <laughs> that you know, area over there behind the, the basketball stadium, the cliffs, is that what they call yeah, it? Yeah. Yeah. The cliff. Yeah. But that's, that's the area. That's the area. And, uh, I'm sure, you know, Cesar Diaz, right? Oh yeah. Another very pro- well. Pro- okay. Well, Cesar had a, had an informant and, uh, he asked me if, if I would, uh, you know, do some undercover work for him. And so, uh, sure. So he hooked me up. Anyway, I, I got hooked up with a gal named Peaches. And uh, early on I'm in shocked. our- I'm Peaches on Peachtree. Meet Peaches on Peachtree. Cross, cross well, Street, Peachtree Boulevard. Actually, I think her nickname didn't come from, uh, from the geographical uh, perspective as much as uh, it came from- From anatomical. Are, are we getting into a and, Phoebe and, issue here? And, and more probably profession. She told me that she used to be a shake your booty dancer. <laughs> So anyway, so I don't make her a bad person. Uh, no, no, no. Except it had been a few years since she'd been in that profession. Oh. She's just yeah. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so we're you know it's like most cases when you when you start out you know you're trying to work your way up and so we're identifying you know where the dope's coming from and that sort of thing and so one one of the buys I. Uh, you know, she comes out, gets back in the car, and uh, she said, you get the dope? She goes, yeah. So she reaches between her legs, and she removes it from inside mm. herself. Mm. <laughs> and, and, you know, hands me the packet. Oh, now, let's, <laughs> so let's clarify, Eric. When you say mm. it, are you saying that she secreted it internally? Internally, yes, yes. Oh, so I, don't right. know, so I don't know. Well, there's only a couple places you can go with that. <laughs> well, so. well, she was a female. Okay. Mm. Yes. <laughs> and, and did you have gloves? No. So what? What am I going to do here? You know, I, I want the heroin. Am I? You know, I'm supposed to. You know. So what am I <laughs> saying now? Oh, oh no! Take it back. <laughs> so, I, I wonder if she pinched. I wonder if she pinched the dope. <laughs> I didn't give it a close inspection, that's for sure. So anyway, I get back, I get back in the office, you know, and, uh, and Caesar happened to be in, in, in another group. I said, here's your dope, and I hand it to him. And then I tell him where it had been. <laughs> You're cold. That's cold, brother. <laughs> so, yeah, so we still, he and I still laugh about that to, to this oh. day. Oh, yeah, he laughs about it. Now, how long did it take? You were laughing about it the whole time. How many years was it before he laughed about it? <laughs> no, Caesar's, Caesar's good people. He, you know, half the initial shock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay. Oh, <laughs> Where do we go from there? Podcast is over. I mean, you're not going to top that. I don't care if it's 26 tons of dope, man. I think yeah. we just went but, to X-ray. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so then after after that, then um, you know, oh, I uh, to the other thing I did while I was in the force group, uh, you know, we the Grateful Dead was still touring, and um, every year we'd work the concert there at uh, at uh, well, now the Georgia Dome. It was whatever. They tore it down, built the Georgia Dome. But um, anyway, so then from that, 
I ended up getting some headquarters funding, uh, the dangerous drugs section, and um, went on tour, a spring tour in, a, in, a, in the, the motorhome out of Miami. Um, I don't know if you ever use that, Steve. Holy, no, I didn't. Well, I used one in Miami, yeah. but not the one out of yeah. Atlanta. No, there's a motorhome. And so, you know, for like, I don't know, was it two months or longer? I was out, you know, doing the dead tour. I had a, uh, t- a task force agent with me and we went all over, you know, Chicago. <laughs> we were in New Jersey. We were um, all over buying buying LSD primarily, uh, other psychedelics. Kidding. Yeah, yeah. So Let me tell you something fun. about the Grateful Dead. They had, what, one top 40 hit maybe, but they had... They had the d- most dedicated fan base, I think, of almost yeah. any group yeah. out there. They would follow them. Oh no, no, it was crazy everywhere. Yeah. No. <laughs> well, then, I, you know, want me to talk about the riot I started at UNC Chapel Hill? Yeah, well, you, can, you, well, you can't good. just throw it out. No, we don't want to hear about the riot you started. Let's let's talk about where the next place you found dope that came out of a bodily orifice. No, this is we had bought we had bought some we bought some acid off of a guy, uh, task force agent bought some acid off of a guy down in, in Atlanta. So the next stop on the tour was Chapel Hill. And they had just this brand new Dean Dome out there. And if anybody knows anything about the Grateful Dead, they prior to all the shows they have out in the parking lot, they have what they call Shakedown Street, where everybody sets up and all the you know, all the hippie paraphernalia and the and the marijuana laced brownies and everything else are sold out there. And um so we I don't know how we did it, but we located this guy, but I'm six, four. And this guy was taller than me. He was probably six, six and a big head of bushy red hair. So we, we found him, we found him. So, um, I had a arrest warrant for him out of Atlanta. And so, um, come up to him and the task force agent is in front. And about the time he approaches him, badges him, tells him under arrest, I just wrap my arms around him. Um, cause we knew, cause when they tried to arrest him in Atlanta, he ran. So we knew he was a runner and I was working with, a matter of fact, the gal, what a small world, the, uh, the officer who did my background, Sam Steele, she was at that now she was the chief of police for UNC campus police. So, you know, you know, we had all, I had all this coordinated. I had a Chapel Hill PD or Chapel Hill campus police radio and stuff. And, um, so anyway, so we grabbed the guy and the damn fight was on. And um, I can remember at one point um, I had my ass literally, I get in trouble now for it, but on, on his throat, trying to hold him down on the ground. And let's, let's have our vote to be clear. You didn't say ass, A-S-S. We're no, talking about no, ass. Ass, yes. <laughs> yeah, I had my ass on his throat. Expandable baton. It's a collapsible <laughs> metal baton that's like, yeah, yeah. starts <laughs> off like maybe eight nine inches long and you snap yeah. it out but i like the yeah. other one you're i had my ass <laughs> i thought maybe showing no. where you had the dope <laughs> no, yeah, no, no. so anyway we're we like most fights you end up on the ground so I, I you know i'm straddling him and he's literally levitating off the ground you know six inches off the ground and uh, so I, I had my ass on him and uh, he's still coming up off the ground and, it, it, you know, there's a little serene moments that happen in these sort of things that you remember. Well, my partner, the task force agent, some some nice 
peace, love, and hippie in the crowd sprayed him with mace. Okay, so he's he's out of the fight now. Um, and I already put out officer need assistance calls. So, you know, the sirens are coming. Everything's coming. I mean, they're throwing bottles at us. The car windows around us are all being broken out from all the projectiles hitting them and shit. Um, I ended up, you know, having problems with my shoulder, you know, as a result of the fight and stuff. But anyway, we, we finally we, we finally got him. He got him out of there. But uh, but. We, oh, we bought off him. We bought off of him there so we would have a local charge as well. So we could charge him locally. And then, but the district attorney up there failed, uh, didn't want to prosecute, but he was rather, rather liberal. And, and I knew him from my PD days. I mean, he and I were on first name basis, but he wouldn't prosecute. Jeez. Was that because Jeez. of the riot you started by putting your asp, asp on <laughs> no, somebody's face? No, <laughs> no he just, uh, he, there's allegations that uh, he was a coke user himself, um, and well, he that just, was his source of supply. Man, the price yeah. was going to go up if he took out his local dealer. Yeah. So, anyway, so now, but uh, yeah, so that was just one of those little fun moments. But yeah, but then the little serene moment was Paul gets uh, he gets sprayed with mace, and this little hippie chick. I remember she had one of those little flowery, you know, kind of long, you know, hippie like dresses on and she leans over and she says to this guy she says hey man just be cool everything will be all right and so i look up at her i said you know what thank you thank you very much (laughs) (laughs) as bottles and rocks are flying by and you know people are trying to pull me off the top from on top of him and You know, in the background, Tom Petty's playing. No, I won't back down. (laughs) And then, and then, poor Paul. You know, by that time, the uh, the uniforms, campus cops had showed up, and I think some and and some city cops and stuff too. So they had a long line just coming in there. So Paul's blind. He's trying to reach his way around. He finds the first patrol car he gets to, opens up the back door to get in. It's a canine unit. Oh, oh. Did he get bit? <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no, but the dog came at him, but <laughs> yeah, he almost got bit. So oh. anyway, and, so, well, yeah. to make it timely. So, you know, uh, speaking of Miami, you know, spring break has been going on. They've been having huge problems in South Beach, you know, in Miami and stuff. There's this picture of a police handler with his canine out there. And starting to get into the free, and the dog's so excited. The dog doesn't go after the guy. The guy, the dog went after his own hand. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, man. I didn't didn't see that one. (laughs) I'm I'm very familiar with that. I I spent uh, post-retirement, one of my gigs was I spent about four years with emergency management down there. So I was very much a part of all those spring breaks and urban beach weekend and stuff. Just uh, Unlike anything else you've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> more like security drills. Uh, that's the closest we'll be get to getting invaded. But uh, so going back to that, so you're doing all this work in Atlanta. Um, how long do you stay in Atlanta before and what's your next post? Uh, actually, well, one of the things I did then with Atlanta is I was on the mobile enforcement team. Um, so then I spent a number of years just traveling around the Southeast. And for those who don't know, the mobile enforcement team, our, our mission was to, uh, target drug organizations that had a nexus, uh, with violence. And, um, we would really go after those who had prior convictions because, you know, once, once you have the prior convictions, it elevates your, uh, classification and stiffer sentences. And so. I did that for several years. Who was your GS at Met? Uh, Frankie Schroyer. Ah, okay. 
I think they're about yeah. Frankie. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, and then um, so I was one of the team leaders. Uh, we had our group was divided up into two Met units, two Met teams, and I had one of the Met teams. Nice. So yeah, it was it was fun. It was. I enjoyed you know, it. I loved it. I did. Yeah, no, and because uh, you know we just and darn it, right before I uh, the next Met deployment I would have had would have been Durham. Uh, but oh yeah. That's that's when I got uh, Columbia. Well, you know, in that that deployment to Durham, well, you probably already know this, but our listeners don't. They actually arrested a guy for murder. So they were. That was the goal of the Met team was to take out the most violent drug traffickers in that particular area, and they actually got a guy for murder on that one. So let's talk about your trip down south. So how, why did you decide that you wanted to go south? Why did you want to go to South America, to Colombia? Because I know that's where the action is, but... Exactly. That's where, you know, where if you're, <laughs> if you're on a war on drugs, where do you want, you know, that's, that's, that's the front lines right there. So um, by the time you were going down there, Murph was already back, right? And were Chris and Dave still down there? Chris Feistel and yes. Dave Mitchell? Yes, so yes. was the whole Cali thing still going on when you got down there, or that had, had that investigation been completed? It, it was it was in its throes. I mean, there was still residual stuff going on. But um, what year did you get there? Ninety uh, one. You got to Baron Key in ninety one. Yeah, that's when I got in, uh, to. Bogota. No, what am I saying? Not ninety one. I got there in ninety eight. What am I saying? No, no, no. Ninety eight. <laughs> Some of that Eric? LSD from the Grateful yeah, Dead, yeah, I think, yeah. is coming back yeah, to the center, brother. Yeah, no. It's, uh, it's not, I it's not a bad bit. memory. It's just, it's, it's just old age. <laughs> well, one of our previous guests, Bill Sarukas, we had him on a couple episodes back. When he was working uh, undercover for a police department, they see some LSD. He put it into an envelope, licked the envelope, got some oh, of the yeah. LSD. He took a trip, oh, and when he got on the marshals, he had to disclose that. Hey, yeah, I had a bad trip with LSD. Hmm. Oh, what fun. But let me tell you what, what the scary part about that is that was LSD. But I just read an article, too, where uh, three officers got uh, poisoned with fentanyl. They had to apply Narcan to themselves. Uh, yeah. I mean, how, how stuff has changed. But yeah. you get wow. down there in 98. So tell us about Barranquilla, because that was like there's no more uh, post at Barranquilla. But it's uh, but back then it was like it was nice. Close to the water. Right. Fancy place. Um, Barranquilla was a dump. Mm-hmm. I was trying to set you up, man. I was, trying to... I was helping no, I, you out here. Listen, we used to love it when they'd send us up to Bogota. It was kind of like going back to uh, some semblance of a real world, Bogota. <laughs> like a civilization, right? <laughs> yeah. And you could understand their Spanish in Bogota. Yeah. It wasn't the coastal uh, slang and well, how many years you know, were dialect. you in? Uh, how many years were you in Colombia? Uh, almost three. Well, then we would have crossed paths because in 2000, I was down there on Plan Columbia. And oh, actually, JP okay, and yeah, I yeah. actually passed. We didn't know it, but we passed each other in the hallways of the embassy. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I was yeah, standing. I was there for. Yeah, that was that was McCaffrey, right, General McCaffrey. If, yeah, the ambassador. The drug, you mean? No, the drug czar at the time. Oh, the, he, the, the czar. Yeah, yeah, he was the one who was, I think, spearheaded that whole thing. Who was your boss in Barranquilla at the time? Mark Edmondson. When I got there, I don't know Mark. I, and I'm sorry yeah. to the listeners. I'm, this is like a trip down memory lane. <laughs> <laughs> Mark Evanson, uh, and, and, and he was a good guy. I, I really liked Mark. And then uh, Fidel Sanchez came uh, after him. I do know Fidel. So what did you, so what did you, what did you end up, so I mean, look, we just, uh, Murph, uh, Murph and JP, they, they got Pablo, Chris and Dave, they brought down the Cali cartel. What was left for you? I mean, it's like they Absolutely took all the fun. I, I mean, I was, was uh, it, huh? <laughs> well, 
you know, I, you know, I'm starting to see, I hadn't particularly recognized this in myself, but uh, now talking to you guys, I kind of butted heads some in Barranquilla. Oh my God, here we go again. So <laughs> you started a riot down there. No, no riots. But who did um, you have a problem with and why? Well, the uh, the rack at the time would come in early, and he would peruse the newspaper articles, and he would see that in Value de Par, they made a heroin seizure. So he said, "Call the lieutenant up in anti-narcotics. Get him to fax all the reports to you." Then I want you to do a DEA six saying this was a joint investigation with oh. DEA and 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 uh, and the Columbia National Police. And I said, "That's an intel job. This was not a joint investigation. I'm not doing it." Well, <laughs> you know, that's not... a chicken shit way of exactly, stats, and it's, it's 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 friggin' lying and everything else, and that's what it was. It was claiming stats that weren't ours, and you know that's that's the job of intel. You know, they can write that up as an intel report. So, but anyway. Well, did you have to write a memo after that? No, no, no. (laughs) My tour didn't get extended. (laughs) Oh, so. (laughs) There's there's always a payback. Yeah, yeah. Well, Well, Eric, just tell me, you're starting to, hopefully you've gotten past this with your next assignment, right? So. I, I don't know. Maybe as you get older, maybe you mellow. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> It'll all be good, man. It'll all be good. <laughs> yeah. So, but, you know, I, um, I was assigned uh, in, in Barranquilla, um, myself, another agent, Eric Nowak. We were the liaison with um, counter-narcotics where they had their major base there on the north coast out of Santa Marta. So we spent a lot of time Santa Marta, La Guajira. Uh, we we spent a lot of time flying around with uh, Columbia National Police and helicopters up there in La Guajira, blowing up clandestine airstrips, going after Coca Labs in the Sierra Nevada, that sort of thing. And Santa Marta's a whole lot nicer than Barranquilla. Oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. That would, I didn't mind going TDY there. We had our favorite hotels and our little watering holes, and yeah, things were good. Yeah, people were saying, ah, you know, weren't you afraid and dangerous? And you know, we. You know, we had the armored vehicles and we had the weapons and stuff, but uh, really, um, you know, it's kind of the old Beach Boys song, the bad guys know us and they leave us alone type of thing. They, nobody wanted to, you know, mess with you. So, you know, Morgan, how we talk about, I was 6'2", wide as you get, There's Eric's 6'4", white boy up there. Yeah. Dave and Chris were 6'3". I'm beginning yeah. to detect a pattern and, in agents and, they said to Bogota, too. It's the DEA listen, basketball team. And, and listen, you know, it, we worked out at the time, there was a consulate there in Barranquilla, and, uh, and, and it provided uh, concert services, you know, passport, visa stuff. And, um, oh, yeah, I'm with, uh, I'm with tech, uh, um, you know, computers and stuff at the consulate. And, you know, oh, yeah, sure you are. You're DEA. <laughs> we weren't fooling anybody with our, you know, You should have Chris's, Chris and Dave's job because they were working with agriculture. That was their yeah. job to work with agriculture. Well, if you were if you were at the embassy, you can get away with that. But they're the only, you know, people knew DEA was there in Barranquilla, and and the only other thing, if you were a U.S. citizen, you go in there for for passport services. So if you were there, and I, I you know, I wasn't the little old lady sitting there stamping passports. You know, yep. so. that's why I told everybody I'm in janitorial and we were services. Fanny, yeah, you're what. I was in janitorial services. Services? All your neighbors thought you were just a janitor. The embassy left yeah. you alone. You load, yeah. <laughs> so, and then plus the fact, you know, we're all wearing 5'11 tactical shorts and wearing black fanny packs. So, come on. <laughs> 
you know, they're just a flag, wave the flag. Yeah. So I live in Northern Virginia and you were talking about, you know, maybe moving up to Reston, but you drive around enough in Reston and Tyson's corner and stuff. It's easy to spot the quote covert buildings. And the one place is they would have these classified buildings or whatever, but they all use the same black fence contractor. So all you did is drive around looking for <laughs> yeah. the black fence. There's another site and there's another yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. And they even they either have, must have the poles that'll jump up out of the ground if somebody tries to run the gate. But you know what the biggest, so this is Tyson's Corner. This is Reston, you know, tech area and stuff, the tech quarters, Silicon Valley East. The easiest way to find out to, or to know is every other building's got its company name on the front. But to drive these other ones, they have just a little set of numbers and nothing else you're going to yeah. There you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like those uh, big but, buildings down there on 28, heading down towards uh, <clears throat> Route 50. Yeah, heading down towards NRO down there in Chantilly and uh, all that other good stuff. But uh, yeah. so, so, Eric, so... <laughs> Wait, you're 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 starting to make a name for yourself. <laughs> so where's the next place they talk bad about you before no, you get there? No, well, you know, let me add with the you know being on the coast there in Colombia, that, that's huge shipment point. You know, dope coming from the interior and it's shipped out, and they're either running up you know the, towards Dom Rep or Puerto Rico, uh, and then going over into Central and. Uh, yeah, I guess Mexico Central Central America. Um, so a lot of what we did down there was were interdiction. The majority of what we did were interdiction cases, and obviously we uh, supported those investigations in the state as well. Um, so and so that's when we started seeing. You know, when you asked me how biggest load I ever seen. I mean, now you're getting into thousands of kilos that we're we're seizing there on these interdictions. It's outrageous, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It just you know, it becomes unreal. <laughs> you know. I'm just, you know, it's like, before you got to DEA, what's, what's the most dope of whatever kind you saw as a police officer? Well, well that, that three kilo deal was, was the biggest, uh, you know, at the time that I, that I had seen. That's and then, uh, yeah, no, back, back in the early eighties like that. Yeah. I was, well, then you, but, but in customs though, too, you said you got a few hundred pounds of weed. Yeah. You know, a couple yeah, times, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, you know, again, very little. I really, it was mostly weed coming through there in Laredo. No, and you said in uh, Atlanta it was heroin. Were yeah. you just doing uh, grams and down there? Were you hitting ounces at all? Uh, no, 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 no. Um, actually, I was buying ounces of heroin uh, back in PD days. Um, uh, because Durham, I know, Durham, I don't know how much you know about the history of Durham with uh, uh, their whole heroin thing. And then you got the Ike Atkinson's thing out of Goldsboro. And then there was a guy named Frank Pee Wee Matthews who uh, was a, his first arrest was stealing chickens from the local Central Carolina Farmers Processing Center. And he went up to New York. Um, and similar to um, uh, what's what was the Denzel Washington, I think, played uh, in a movie Training about. Day. No, no, no. Where another heroin dealer out of uh, out of New York who was made famous. Um, and he was actually, I think from Greensboro, similar story, Frank, Frank, um, went up there, Pee Wee Matthews, his name was Frank too, but different last name, I think anyway. Um, but Matthews went up there and, and he just trusted his homeboys to work for him up there in, in New York. And so as a result, there was a, a lot of high quality heroin coming into the Durham area. Uh, I, I went to high school in Chapel Hill and I, in, in back in high school, you know, I had classmates heading over to Durham all the time, score heroin. Uh, 
So, American but, gangster, Frank Ameri- Lucas. Frank yeah. Lucas, yeah. Frank yeah. Lucas. Yeah, yeah. So, similar story. He went up there, a nobody, and he just developed this whole thing. Um, and actually, again, it was kind of a Al Capone thing. It was the IRS that got him. Um, and he, his, was his, his aunt's husband was a captain on the police department. And, uh, he was there when I was on. And, um, so the aunt met the bondsman, the little five points in Durham, handed him a shoebox full of money and, uh, Pee Wee disappeared, never been found. Nobody knows where, you know, never not a trace of him since after uh, his aunt gave the bondsman the shoebox full of money. About that. So you mean like he successfully uh, self self witness protection? I mean, you know, self serve witness protection, or he's dead? Uh, well, he might be dead of old age by now, but uh, he effectively disappeared. He disappeared. Yeah, I can't remember. Uh, there was a book written about him, but pretty interesting stuff. Yeah, Frank Frank Pee Wee Matthews. If you Google that real quick, you probably find it. Not Pee Wee Herman, Steve, nope. the other Pee Wee. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Speaking of sheep and uh, things you get familiar with, Pee Wee apparently had a little problem uh, with kids too. Um, so, but but Eric, so let's let's start now taking a glide path to you're you're starting to work all these cases. Where what starts your trajectory towards finally coming across uh, crossing paths with Luis Navia? I mean, when does where do you end up getting assigned and what do you end up work, start working on that starts you on this trajectory towards him? I'm trying to think it was it, what, 2001, I guess, 2001, 2000, 2001. Um, actually that was, uh, that, that case was not mine. Um, a couple agents there working with a vetted group there. Um, it was the Mayisos. Um, Los Mayisos, the twins. Yeah, the twins, uh, Victor and Manuel uh, Mejia. Mejia. Yeah, Yeah, it was working that case. And um, they needed somebody to accompany or to go with a customs agent out of Houston. He was bringing a trigger fish in. And they weren't going to let the customs guy run around Venezuela by himself. Uh, can you tell everybody what a trigger fish is? Let's let's talk about triggers, because the Secret Service used to use that a lot, too. Hey, everybody, that's the end of part one of our interview with Eric Kolbinski and some of his exploits. And we got some good stuff coming up in part two, which, as always, comes out on Thursday. In the meantime, go visit us on our website, GameOfCrimesPodcast.com. We've got lots of good stuff on there, pictures, books, mailing lists, merch, things like that. Also, visit us on the socials at Game of Crimes, on Twitter, at Game of Crimes Podcast, on Facebook, and the Instagram but where you got to be, where you got to be, where you got to be, you have to be on Patreon, patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. We have a lot of good stuff. Some of our recent episodes that have come out, 911, what's your emergency, and you just can't make this shit up. We've gotten a lot of good response from that, having a lot of fun. So make sure you visit us there as well. And come back and visit us for part two of our interview with Eric Kolbinski and see which country he may have got kicked out of or which riot he might have started. Only on Game of Crimes. And once again, thank you for playing the biggest, baddest, most dangerous game of all, The Game of Crimes.
Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.